Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you this morning. Oh, I love hearing babies' voices. It's so cute. Well, good morning. My name is John Wyatt. I am the pastor of Student Ministries here, and if this is your first time, we just want to welcome you and say thank you. And I get the awesome, incredible privilege of working with our students and putting them in headlocks and all kinds of good, fun things. Hey, uh, this morning, uh, if you were here yesterday for our serve day, on behalf of the church staff and pastors and elders and trustees, we just want to say thank you so much. Um, we had a lot of people doing all kinds of things from painting um, bathrooms in the city to painting the walls of the church to painting peanut butter and jelly on sandwiches and then passing them out uh, to people. We had people writing letters of encouragement and cutting tree limbs, and it was just wonderful to see kids, young and old, all gathered around um, just serving their Savior uh, by being here. So we just want to thank you for that. And this morning, we're going to continue in our Game On series. Um, we've been going through this for the past a uh, little over a month now, and you've had your devotional. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor John, haven't we finished? Haven't we finished um, kind of the five C's, you know, crowd, curious, convinced, committed, commissioned? And I would say, yeah, we finished it, but we're not done yet. Because today, this morning, we're going to talk about what it looks like for the commissioned people of God who follow Jesus to go back up to the crowd, to go back up to the crowd. You see, Jesus commissioned his followers to take what he gave them, to take the game plan that he gave them, and give it back to the crowd in order to grow his family and unleash his people from darkness. And as I was preparing to speak to you this week, I was praying, and it got me thinking. I want you to think about this. I want you to try to remember who was the first person that introduced you to Jesus. Who was the first person that introduced you to Jesus? Maybe it was your parents at home, or maybe you heard about Jesus at church, or maybe you were at work from a coworker, or maybe you were working out at the gym. Who followed Jesus' lead to share Jesus with you? Who was, who was willing to be awkward, maybe even a little afraid, but they were willing to be obedient to share the hope of Jesus with you? Think about who that person was. Now I want you to think about this. you have that person in your head? Who introduced that person to Jesus? And now who introduced that person to Jesus, who then introduced that person, who then eventually introduced you to Jesus? See, what we're doing is we're tracing our spiritual, our spiritual heritage, our spiritual history. You see, I can trace my spiritual heritage back to a woman named Marlena. Marlena was a member of an all-women's gym back in the 90s. And one day when she was working out, she looked next to her and she saw a downcast young lady who was working out next to her. She found out this lady's name was Barbie, and Barbie had just lost her kids in a divorce and didn't have any hope in the world because her identity of mom had been taken away. And so in that moment, Marlena decided to be awkward but courageous and shared the life-changing message of Jesus with my mom, Barbie. And from that day, my mom decided to put her faith and trust in the Lord, and then she brought me to church with my little brothers. And then she eventually brought my stepdad to church, and they became a family. And the only reason I'm staying in front of you today as a pastor is because Marlena was willing, as a commissioned follower of Jesus, 
to share the love and the hope and the life-altering, changing, amazing love message that we just sang about with my mom that day. And so what I want you to do right now is think of that one person who first introduced you to Jesus, who helped you take your make your relationship with Jesus real. And I just want you to thank God for them right now. Take 10 seconds and thank the Lord for them. You see, regardless of when you became part of God's family, uh, maybe it was last week or it was, you know, 40, 50 years ago, all of us can trace our spiritual heritage back to the book of John. All of us can trace our our history back to a group of regular disciples, regular people who weren't exactly sure about what Jesus was saying. He was saying some pretty crazy things, but they were really sure that he could be trusted. And they were so sure that he could be trusted that they followed him with their lives. And many of them were put to death because of their faith. You see, these commissioned men and women over the centuries were willing to share the love and the joy of Jesus with the world. And that is what our commissioning is all about. It's not to stay encased in a holy huddle inside the church, but it's rather to get in the game and follow our Savior to victory with as many people as we can bring along. And so this morning, we're going to look at that journey of what it looks like for us as commissioned followers of Jesus to go back to the crowd. But before we jump in, would you pray with me? Abba Father, we thank you. I thank you so much for Marlena. I thank you for the person that spoke truth into her life and introduced her to Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your people who you've commissioned, who you intentionally placed in our way, on our path, whenever we first came to you. And so God, I pray this morning that you would make us into the kind of people who are commissioned with your compassion, your obedience, and your courage. Would you this morning, Lord Jesus, teach us by your word and your spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to the book of John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hands and our ushers will gladly give you one. But we're starting off in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Awesome. Well, just to set some context, we're going to be looking at passages um, from John 13 to John 17. And the significance of John 13 through 17, this is the last night of Jesus uh, being alive. This is the last supper. This is when Jesus gets down on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet. He does a lot. And John packs all of this into these chapters. We're not going to read all of them, but we're going to highlight some incredible truths. And so what I would encourage you to do, if there's a pen in the seat, or if you have a pen with you or a highlighter, or you're on your phone, I would encourage you. These are some amazing verses that I would love for you to hold close to your heart as we dig into what it looks like to fleshing out this, our commission from the Lord. And so this is the very night that Jesus says, friends, one of his 12 disciples is going to betray him. And Jesus knows this is going to happen, but he still decides to pour out his heart to his friends. And he's also, as we're going to see in John 17, he pours out his heart to his father, his heavenly father. He demonstrates why his dad actually sent him to planet Earth. In the last few hours Jesus has with his disciples, he commissions them with a new message to take to the world that he's about to die for. And so when it comes to the journey, the first thing we're going to see, the journey of the commission going back to the crowd, this is what we're going to see, that Jesus includes us in his plan. Therefore, follow his lead. Jesus includes us in his plan. Therefore, follow his lead. Look with me at John 15, starting in verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, 
For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But you, I've called you friends. For I have heard from my father, from, for what I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the name of the father, in my name, he will give it to you. You see, servants go where they are sent. Servants do what they're told. They don't have to agree. They don't even have to really understand. They're, they, they just have to go when they're told. However, though, the friend of the boss, the coordinators that work for the coach, they get to see the playbook. They get to know the game plan. I want you to stop and think about this. Being a Christian is not just saying, Jesus isn't saying to us, just shut up and do what I'm telling you. Don't think about it, just do it. He's saying, no, 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 come, come here, come here, come here. I want to show you what's up. I want to show you the game plan. I want to show you, I want to let you in on this open secret that my father has given to me. Think about that. He calls us friends. I spoke a few weeks ago from Proverbs on the book of, uh, or excuse me, the book of Proverbs on friendship, and I wanted to go to this passage because now we're friends of God. And I get to preach on it today, so it's cool. Um, but Jesus doesn't just call us family. He calls us friends. And, you know, if you're like me, from time to time, I struggle with feeling worry, uh, worthy enough to be on that team. I feel unworthy to be at Christ's table. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to be a servant. I'll put my head down. I'll keep my mouth shut. And I'll just work, work, work so that Jesus doesn't really have to pay attention to me. And I can just kind of show him, hey, I'm serious and I love people and I'm trying to love you as best I can. So I'm really comfortable at doing that. But when Jesus says, hey, John, come here. I want you to sit with me at the table. I'm like, uh, I don't know, Lord. Because at the end of the day, I'm trying to show Jesus that I'm worthy enough out of my own effort. I want to, I'm trying to show him that he should accept me because of what I've done. But I've got it all wrong. I've got it in reverse because we just read here that Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you. You see, it's Jesus' picking of me that qualifies me. It's Jesus' saving me a seat at his table that allows me to be worthy of the mission. It's Jesus calling me a friend that enables me to be the kind of player on God's team that he needs me to be. You see, I have to take my eyes off of myself and my own accomplishments and honestly my own insecurities and my own failures and look to Jesus, the one who called me to himself when I was a part of the crowd and has kept calling my name ever since. Jesus calls those who are in his family now friends. And he saves us a seat next to him to say, hey, John, come here. Hey, Sarah, come here. I want to show you. I want to show you the plan that my dad has given me. I want to show you the game plan. And this wasn't just something that Jesus thought up and he saw his dad do one time, and then he's going through life kind of stumbling like, what was my dad about? No, 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 check this out. Look with me in John 5, verses 19 through 20. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him everything that he himself is doing. You see, Jesus copies what he sees his dad doing. Jesus speaks what he hears his dad saying. Jesus loves how he has seen his dad love. You know, as I've been sitting with our text and praying, the Lord has really been lately discipling me through my little daughter, Shelby. Uh, Shelby is going to turn two years old um, next weekend. 
And man, right now, she wants to do everything that Debbie and I do. I mean, everything that we do. Um, if I'm taking out the trash, she goes, trash, trash, and she wants to carry it, even though it's like three times the size of her. Um, if I'm unloading the dishwasher, she goes, help, help. So she wants to do that. If I'm making mac and cheese, she goes, cheese, mac and cheese. And she wants to stir the noodles. Everything that I'm doing right now, she wants to do. I'm walking out of the house and I have my sunglasses on. She goes, sunglasses, sunglasses. And so the other day she lost her. So we went out and got some new sunglasses. These blue ones right here. She picked them out herself. Um, if I'm using chopsticks to eat my sushi, she goes, chopstick, stick. She wants to use chopsticks. You know, if I'm slurping my miso soup, she's slurping too. Mom doesn't like that, but you know. Um, <laughs> but in this point was driven home the other day. We're, um, it was the second week of college football, and uh, we as a family were watching the best team on, USC. Um, so they lost the game, but that's okay, because uh, they won this week. But anyway, we're playing, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat, and Shelby's on the edge of her stool. She went and got a little stool, and she's sitting like this. And I go, okay. Um, and then I have my, I have a LaCroix in my hand, right? Because I'm trying to, you know, relax. And Shelby has her little special drink in her cup. And then all of a sudden, a, a, a play happens, and I'm like, yes! And she stands up, she goes, yes! And I go, yeah, yeah! And she goes, yeah, yeah! Right? She's copying dad. And then I'm sitting there, and there's this heinous play that doesn't get called. I'm like, come on, man. And she goes, come on. And then Debbie from the kitchen goes, hey, come on, man. you got to be careful what you're saying because she's copying everything you're saying, right? I'm like, okay, okay, I get that. You see, Shelby sees her daddy and sees what her mommy's doing, and she wants to do it too. Jesus saw what his dad was doing and what his dad was up to, and he said, hey, that's what we're going to be about too. You see, Jesus is setting up for us the example. He's doing things that he sees his dad doing. He's inviting us as the commissioned people of God to do the same. On a family ministry side note, Pastor Rich usually does this, but I want to do it right now. This is why parents, it is so, parents, grandparents, even older adults, this is why it is vital for your students. And even if these kids aren't your kids at church, it's so important for students to see you as their spiritual grandparents and spiritual parents the spiritual mom and dads, the spiritual brothers and sisters. It's so important for students to look over, and they've been in the service for now over a month, to look over and see you guys lifting your hands in prayer. It's important for them when we turn the Bible for them to see you because it's not just something you're telling them to do, you're showing them how to do it. It's so important for them to see you come up for prayer to say, I don't have what it takes, but God does, and I need a lot of help doing it. This is so important for students to see that because we can't just ship them off to youth group once or twice a week. I love being with them and I give them everything I have, but at the end of the day, they're going to be with you way longer than me. And so you can take the lead in that and let them see. Let them see Christ in you and why you follow him. It's like this. Uh, ben Franklin said this quote, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I might remember. But if you involve me, I will learn. That's why we've had students up on stage. That's why we have students in the sound booth. That's why we have students greeting. That's why older adults, it's so good for them to be around you because they're, you're going to pass on your faith to them way more so than I can do maybe on a, a Tuesday night or a Sunday morning because they are growing and learning from you. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Whose game plan have you been following lately? God's or my own? How much time have I been spending in the playbook? What position has God drafted me to play on his team? Am I showing up for practice? Or have I been ignoring the game altogether? What areas of your life is Jesus wanting you to mimic him in 
so that you can bring his message to the crowd. So secondly, not only does Jesus include us in his plan and want us to follow his lead, what he wants to do is remind us that Jesus, number two, empowers us by his spirit. Therefore, trust and obey. Jesus empowers us with his spirit. Therefore, trust and obey. Again, if you have your pen or your highlighter, get it out because we're going to go to some great places. Uh, Turn with me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, looking at verse 16. It says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This this spirit is going to be with us forever. For you will know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And then go over to verse 25. Verse 25 says this, These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and bring to your remembrance, help you to recall all that I've said to you. Again, these are powerful verses because woe to us if we join God's family and think, okay, Jesus did everything to save me and now I just need to go about my business. No, no, no. God says, hey, I'm putting my spirit within you. God gives us his very presence, the very presence of Jesus to carry out his mission, to be able to remember the game plan and stay faithful until the game is over. You see, we have God's abiding presence. Literally, in the Greek, it talks about we have God's energy, his energon in us. It's the Holy Spirit of God working and flowing and coursing through us, making us alive, making us alive in ways that we can now go back to the crowd and share with them. You see, Jesus commissions us to go back to the crowd, to the very people that we were saved out of, so that we can reveal God's plan for them. And he gives us the spiritual life force in order to do it. John Piper once said, God calls us to do those things that only he can do. Think about that. God calls you and me to do only those things that he can do. Does that mean we're set up for failure? No, no, no. We're not set up for failure at all because God gives us his very spirit to accomplish those things that he calls us to do. You see, God fills us with his spirit to lead us, to convict us, to enable us and empower us. The Holy Spirit is praying within us. The Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in us. The Holy Spirit helps us stay committed to the mission and stay obedient to the one who has called us now into his forever family. But the rub in life happens when what? When I start to struggle. Whether I get struggle with my sin or I get distracted or I grow tired of kind of doing God's thing, and I think, you know what? I don't really need God right now. Things are okay. We're going. I start to slowly wander away. I make a few compromises here, and I don't need accountability there. And before we know it, we stop abiding in Christ. We stop staying intentionally connected to Jesus, and pretty soon we forget about the game plan and the life-changing message. And pretty soon we become the star of our own show, and we sideline Jesus. And life might be good for a while, but then, because we've been living and relying on ourselves and not God's living, empowering energy within us, we start to face some serious spiritual setbacks, some uncertainty and lack of drive to be obedient to the one who called us by name in the first place. You see, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus also said that apart from me, you can do nothing. If I was going to get a tattoo, it would be right here on my forearm so I could see it every day, that it would say, John 15, 5, Abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, 
you can do nothing. I need that reminder every day because I wander off on my own apart from God and um, out of step with his spirit, and I try to accomplish so much on my own, and that's where I get in trouble. And you see, as much as Shelby loves to do um, things with mom and dad, she gets so frustrated so easily, so quickly. She's just like her mom and dad, right? So uh, Shelby, when she was first learning to walk, she had like one of these push carts, right? The little walker thing. So she's pushing it, and all of a sudden she would push it into a corner and get stuck, right? And I would just hear this, just totally mad, not crying like she hurt herself, but just angry. I'm like, Shelby, are you frustrated? She goes, yes. I go, okay. Do you want some help? No. Okay. So dad's going to stay over here and not get hit, you know? So I'm going to let her work out her stuff right there. And I go, Shelby, I'll come back. Shelby, would you like some help? Just ask daddy for help. Just say, daddy help. She goes, no. I go, okay. So I would stand over here and watch. Then pretty soon, after giving up, she would say, help, please. This is please. Help, please. Help, please. And I'd come over and help her. You see, Jesus never expected you and me to do life on our own apart from him. No way. God never expected us to do our own thing and to call out him and try to figure out the Christian life as best we can. And then we're really messed up and really frustrated. Then ask him for help. No way. He's Emmanuel. God with us all of the time, living and breathing inside of us. And he wants us to let his spirit, his guiding spirit, who is called the helper, to help us out. He doesn't want us to do life on our own, but he wants us to take his message by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to those who are out there, out there in the crowd where we used to be. So ask yourself, where have I been struggling to put my trust into action? Where do I need the Spirit's help? Because really, obedience at the end of the day is trust in action. Because obedience is always connected to a person. I may not understand what Jesus is about, but I can understand that Jesus loves me. He's he's there to provide for me. In the same way, Shelby doesn't understand why I'm having her do things and not do things. But she knows that Daddy and Mommy love her. Daddy and Mommy are going to be there. And Daddy and Mommy are going to provide for her. In the same way, that's what God is asking of us. And so where's the Holy Spirit wanting you to put your trust into action a little bit more? So thirdly, Jesus empowers us, the commissioned people, his friends and his family, by his spirit to trust and obey him. But then Jesus prays over us with his peace. I mean, Jesus prays over us with his peace. Therefore, fear not. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid. Look with me at John 14, 27. John chapter 14, 27. Again, he's saying these things right before he leaves, right before he's betrayed, right before he's crucified. He's telling his friends, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Look at me at John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me, not in yourself, not apart from me, that in me, I've given you my words, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Circle, underline, highlight, whatever you need to do to write that on your heart, because I know in a room this big, we need a lot of peace. In a world this broken and this hurting, we need a lot of peace. And Jesus prays these over his disciples. 
Here we see that Jesus recognizes his friends are going to be overwhelmed in life. Jesus understands that human beings tend to doubt ourselves. And you know that when the internal spiral starts happening, he knows that we're in desperate, desperate need of peace. Because our hearts are going to be afraid at times. They're going to be overwhelmed. Um, Debbie is a resident director at Biola University. And so we live in a dorm with about 500 college students. Uh, we don't have bunk beds, so that's nice. They give us an apartment. Um, but we have these bells. Biola has these huge bells um, on campus. And these bells ring for chapel times. They ring on the hour. And um, one thing that we usually do at the end of eating at night, we'll go for a walk. We'll walk around campus with Shelby. And usually she's on her scooter. And she's scooting all around campus, and she loves it. And the sun's going down. But when we get like maybe 100, 200 feet from the bells, she stops, gets off her scooter, and she comes up to mommy and daddy and I. And she goes, bells, bells. I go, Shelby, what's the matter? She goes, bells. I go, are you scared? She goes, yeah, yeah. And she puts her hand on her heart. Because I think what happened one day was she was walking either with her babysitter or her grandpa, and they must have got trapped under there, and that did not do good things for her, right? So she puts her hand on her heart. Every time she sees the bell, she stops what she's doing. She's frozen, and she has mom or I come and hold her, and she goes, she puts her hand on her heart. She goes, bells. You see, Jesus knew that there were going to be bigger bells in our life. There's going to be bells that make us confused and overwhelmed. We're going to put our hands on our heart. We're going to be like, I can't go on. We know that there's going to be times that we're going to be scared. But Jesus gave us and promised to give us his courageous spirit, his living, always, for eternity, presence inside of us to secure our hearts to his. You see, because Jesus is wanting us to step out with his spirit to go under the bells and way beyond the bells of our life. He's wanting us to go way farther because he has things in store that we have no idea about. But he's wanting to do that. You see, also, Shelby, not only does she get scared sometimes, not only does she love doing what uh, mom and dad do, she also loves to tackle things way bigger than her. Like I said, she loves to take the trash out with me, right? So she's gotten to the point where she, I'm taking the trash. She goes, no, like, dad, don't help me. I got this. I'm like, listen, Cheeky, you don't got this, you know? But I let her hold it. I go, fine, here. I let her hold the weight of it, and she's like, oh! I go, would you like some help? She goes, yeah. So we hold it and we drag it, right? So uh, this came really clear last week and we're doing laundry and we put our laundry in this little basket and it's kind of this heaping basket. And well, she has done laundry with me ever since she was born. We usually do it and I'll stick her in the laundry thing and I usually push her. Well, now she's old enough where she wants to push the laundry basket, okay? So we're pushing the laundry basket, has all these clean clothes and we're coming out of the dorm and she's pushing it and I'm a little bit in front of her and I see these college students, they're all laughing, they're laughing because they can't see the little person behind it. They think it's like a remote control GPS thing that's following me, you know, my dorm. How nerdy is that, right? So then they come around and they see Shelby pushing this thing that is way bigger. It's like this high and she's this high. Jesus calls us to follow him on a mission that is way bigger than we can handle. It's way bigger than we realize. And though Though we may not understand it, and though we may fall over, and we may get discouraged, and we may be afraid, it delights his heart so much when we're obedient to his plan. Yes, we may stumble in a conversation. Yes, we may say something to someone at the wrong time, and they're like, oh man, they're probably farther from Jesus than when they started today. That's okay. At least you're willing to be obedient. At least you're willing to share of the hope that you have. And for some of us, there's a legitimate fear of evangelism. For some of us, we're not extroverted. There's the fear of what to say, and then what's going to be the social fallout if I do say something at work or at the store or, I don't know, 
we can't control how people are going to respond. But Jesus has already prayed for us. And when you join his family, he gives us his abiding spirit to be within us. And he prays peace over us because the Holy Spirit is the helper, the one that holds us all together. And so ask yourself, what about God's commissioning feels scary to me? What feels so scary that I don't want to engage in it? Is it a person? Is it the cost? How might God be wanting to use me to help connect other people to him? Does the fact that Jesus prayed for you, I mean, chapter 17 is a whole prayer where Jesus prays to God, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for us. Does the fact that Jesus prayed for us make a difference? Does it change our outlook? And so lastly, with number four, Jesus, in essence, commissions us into his world. Therefore, get in the game. Get in the game. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and we'll read verse 15. So Jesus, again, Jesus is praying. This is right before he gets arrested, right before he gets betrayed, right before he goes to the cross. He says this. He's talking to God, his Father. He says, Lord, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Therefore, Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. And look at John 9, 4 on the screen with me. We must do the work of the works of him who sent me while it is day. Jesus is saying, we, as in you and me and the disciples and those who are in the family of God, we're to do the work that God has sent. And look with me at John 20 also on the screen. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The amazing thing is that Jesus then would go on to breathe the Holy Spirit upon them, and then they would empower his disciples to take his life-changing message back to the crowd. Jesus sends us to the crowd like his Father sent him to the world. Jesus sends us to love the crowd like the Father sent Jesus to love the world. Jesus loves the world the way his Father loved him. Therefore, you and I are sent to mimic, to imitate, to share the love that we have been loved with, with this world. When we follow Jesus' lead onto the field, we're empowered by his spirit in our heads and our heart and our body. You know, and I was praying this week, um, and I was searching my heart, and I was thinking, how odd would it be if Jesus ran onto the field alone? How weird would it be if Jesus gave us this life-rallying speech and he said, okay, break. We break from the huddle and then we go sit down on the bench. How weird would that be? But how many times do I fail to follow Jesus where he goes? And I'm content to stay where I want to stay because I'm scared of where he might go or I'll just, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just going to stay here on the sidelines and I'll stay on the bench and I'm going to cling to this holy huddle. Versus clinging to the one that holds all things together. Hold, cling to the one that's holding me together. You see, wherever he goes, he wants us to go. Because he wants to blow our minds with what he can do. You know, um, when I was in college, uh, Lee Strobel, Lee Strobel, the guy who wrote Case for Faith, Case for Christ, he came and spoke at one of our chapels. And he was sharing this time about listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting and going and sharing about how Jesus has changed his life. And so he's at, he's working at the newspaper and the Holy Spirit says, Hey, Lee, I want you to go and I want you to share the gospel with your, with your boss. And he's like, uh, Lord, let me tell you about my boss. He hates Christians. He 
is vehemently opposed to them, and he's always angry. And so you're telling me to go talk to him? And the Holy Spirit's like, Lee, get in there. And Lee Strobel says, okay, Lord, your will be done, not mine. So he walks in, knocks on the door, and he's like, come in. So Lee goes in, and you know what? He shares about how Jesus has changed his life, and he shares about the hope he had, and he's being faithful to what God called him to do. And you know what happened? The exact thing he thought was going to happen. His boss ripped him a new one. He told he threw him out of his office. He's like, get out of here. I don't want to hear about your stuff. That's good for you. It's not good for me. Get out of here, Lee. And so Lee goes back to his desk, and he's like, okay, Lord, you said to do this, but I knew this was socially going to happen, so I don't get it. So that Sunday at church, after church, a Hispanic man and his family walk up to Lee Strobel, and he says, um, Mr. Strobel, you don't know me, but this is um, my name, and this is my family. Um, I wanted to share something with you. And Lee said, okay. He said, um, Mr. Strobel, this week um, you went into your boss's office and you were telling him everything about what Jesus did for you. You didn't realize this, though, but I was behind your boss's desk installing tile in his office. And I heard about how Jesus had transformed your life. And right there on my knees, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I asked him, and I, we and my family are here today because you were willing to be awkward, to be faithful, to be scared and obedient, to share Jesus with me. And now my family's here. You see, guys, we don't ever know how big the laundry cart or how big the bells, scary the bells are going to be in our life. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. I got you. I got you. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my word. I'm going to help you. You can get in the game and you can trust me. Because we may not understand what he's doing in our life, but he still calls us. He still calls us to be faithful. So where is God sending you? Who has God strategically placed you around? It is no accident. And so your job isn't just a job for your family. It's a commissioning by the Lord. It's not your job to save anybody. But we can, we can arrange the introduction. We can talk. So this week, here's what I want you to do at the end of this whole sermon. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, I want you to put yourself out there a little bit more than you did last week. It's kind of like dating, right? It's kind of like saying, yeah, I want to get a date. So you got to put yourself out there a little bit more. You got to linger a little bit longer. Before Debbie and I were married, I remember going to Trader Joe's and I always seemed to go at sunset. And then there was this cashier, this, this, this girl, she had a redhead and the sun always shined through her hair. And I was like, I need to talk to her. But I didn't know how to, right? But I just kind of intentionally, awkwardly went into her line and put my stuff down. Hi, you know, trying to talk to her and nothing ever came out well. Um, but we just got to put ourselves out there because you never know what God's going to do. I want you to ask God to give you the opportunity, opportunity to share with him. Again, you're not saving anybody. You're just talking with them. Pray for opportunity. Pray for eyes to recognize the opportunity. And then pray for courage to walk through it because you never know who might be listening. You never know who's going to be on the desk or behind the desk. You never know. So in conclusion, what's the goal of all of this? What is God's goal for us? It's knowing him and believing in Jesus for eternal life. And that eternal life starts now. It starts right now. John 20, 30, and 31. John, the author of the book, he's saying, hey, Jesus did a lot of other signs and signs in the presence of the disciples, but they're not written here. But I wrote these ones so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What kind of life? Well, Jesus in John 17 says this. This is what eternal life is all about, that you that they know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life doesn't start when you're dead, folks. It starts when you know who God is and you trust who Jesus is. Eternal life starts now, so game on. Let's get in there. And what kind of life is this? Well, Jesus said it best. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. John 10.10. That is the goal. That is the goal of life. We don't have to fear the cross or the crowd because people are looking for the reality of God in their life. They're looking. We are all created in God's image. And that is just a fancy way of saying we've been made with God's fingerprints and we are hardwired deep down in our beings to long for a creator, to long for something bigger than us. And it's hardwired into our DNA and every cell that we have and every molecule is crying out. Yes, it's been marred by sin and yes, we are broken, but it hasn't washed away the fact that God has made us in his image. And therefore, people are looking for the reality of God and they're looking for a community. They're looking for an unconditional welcome from a family of God that says, hey, I'm broken, but let me tell you about the guy who puts me back together. Let me tell you, you don't have to have it all together because I don't have it all together, but I know the one who does. And he invites me to his table and I get to hear time and time again of how Jesus changes lives. This is the mission of the church. And as Jesus had a mission in the world, Christians are now commissioned with his work to do in the world. We are called to be his hands and his feet to bring the living kingdom reality wherever we go. My question for myself this week is, what kind of reality do I bring wherever I go? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, may we learn to say with our hearts and our hands, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you move, I will move. I will follow you. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to love who you love. To serve how you serve. And Lord, if that costs us some things or we lose some things, may we still keep following you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to go into a time of reflection. There's been a lot that's been said to this morning, a lot from God's word. But as you stand there, I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, what are you kind of pointing out in me? It's impossible to do everything. But what is the one thing? Because we don't have to know everything and we don't have to, we don't have to know everything and we don't have to say everything, but we have to say something. So in the quietness of your heart, consider with the Lord Jesus where he might be moving you this morning. And if you would like to receive prayer and say, I need someone to pray for me, we're going to have our prayer team around the um, sanctuary. If you would like any prayer, feel free to join us. And so, Lord, we do. We open to you during this time and ask that you would transform us from the inside. In Jesus' name.